Hi, and welcome to Make It Make Sense with Sareka Thanendra Dharaman, a podcast that aims to demystify the less than transparent publishing industry by talking to authors from historically underrepresented backgrounds. I believe that the more we make sense of how things work on the inside, the less we feel as though we're on the outside. Because learning from other authors, editors and agents that have made sense of their journeys should hopefully inspire many more to embark on their very own. Each week, I'll be asking a new interviewee the things they've made sense of in their careers, as well as anything they'd like to make sense of for fellow writers. Today's guest is Margot Villaron. Margot works as a foreign rights agent at David Hyam Books, and it's a part of the industry that I have no insight into, so thought it might be worth asking one of the best. I was really excited to have her on the podcast today, and I think you can tell that my brain was firing off questions that led us into tangents that were interesting, but maybe not connected always to where we left off. Margot has a real buoyancy and energy to her part in all of this, the privilege to bring more stories from all genres to different parts of the world. And to those that are currently stuck in very admin-centered roles or positions with a lot of data entry involved, she offers one of the best ways of tackling the monotony. Margot, along with her book club, are currently reading The Queens of Samiento Park, which is what I'll be moving on to after I finish my current read, which is Heaven by Miko Kawakami, another translated text. I think Margot's infectious joy for her role really sets the tone for this episode, so I hope you enjoy. And don't forget to rate and review the episode, because that always helps. Margot and welcome to Make It Make Sense. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I actually, when I was, when we were going through the prep stage of everything and I was putting through a few questions I'd like to run past you, I realized how much I don't know about this area of your work. So I'm sure it's going to be really interesting for uh, the listeners as well. Um, a question that I always start with is, what did you want to be when you were younger? <laughs> I actually wanted to be a pilot, um, which is uh, quite funny because I have quite bad sight and um, <laughs> I'm not so great with math and apparently you have to be really good at math. Yes. Um, so this did not happen. <laughs> For those reasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And when did you then, when did you shift into what you're doing now? Was it um, something you knew when you were studying that you wanted to go down that path or how did that happen? Give us a little bit of your background. Absolutely. Um, I'm actually quite late comer to, to reading uh, in general. I didn't grow up in a house where, where there were books. Uh, it was just not much of, a, of an opportunity I've had before. And um and later on at school in France, when you don't do really well at school, they put you in the kind of literature section. Oh. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, when you go to secondary school, we all divide in three sections. One is economics, one in science, and one is literature. And often when you're do not doing super well, the advice is to go to the literature section. And I kind of saved me, actually, because I just with with reading and get 
just got more confident with writing, which was quite difficult for me at the time. And and just saw it as a savior, really, and just kept going. And after that, I started to do uh, comparative literature for university. Uh, and to do that, I moved to Montreal, where I found this tiny indie publisher that was giving me this job of trying to translate from French into Quebec. I mean, translating is not the exact word, really, but more <laughs> adapting the language, yeah. um, which was quite a hilarious first job I was doing on top of going to uni. And, and it was kind of a first intro to this whole world. Mm. And I took it from there, really. So um, a bit of coincidences and yeah. luck, but also just really a path that I followed. And now I'm just really happy to be there. So then you went from studying comparative literature to this uh, job you had in the indie publisher. What was then the next step that moved you around? Yeah, so the next step was um, visas and not being able to stay in Canada any longer uh, <laughs> once I had graduated. So I came back to Europe and uh, I moved back to, to the suburb of Paris where I'm from. And there I was really lucky to find a short-term contract in a literary agency in Paris which was my introduction to the literary agenting world. And I worked for the agence Michel Lapotre, which was basically mainly working on behalf of US agency and UK, some of the UK-based agencies as well, to sell their rights in France. Um, and that was a very admin-based job. I was basically the PA of uh, the director there. And that was just the most kind of, mind-blowing introduction to the publishing world you know fresh out of uni thinking I knew about yeah. books uh, but actually realizing that there is just so much more behind and actually mm -hmm. they also get translated and all of these kind of things um, but it was just great to be kind of exposed uh, to all of that and and I quickly realized that the the publishing industry wasn't as big in France with new hires and recruiting and it would be a lot harder to, to make my way. Uh, so I moved to London um, and there I started working for David Hyam Associates where I still am actually. So I've been my career there from translation rights assistant to now being an agent. Yeah, it would be nice to know um, because I've made this mistake when we were talking and I had addressed you as a foreign rights editor, which you had corrected to um, your actual role, which is a rights agent. So maybe we could clarify both in this. Exactly. Um, so, um, so I work for a literary agency where um, we have the, the primary agents who sign offers and represent their rights in the English language. Um, and then our team, the translation rights team, kind of enter the stage and start selling those rights all across the world. Mm -hmm. um, my job is basically kind of similar to the to the English language, except that I do it across the world. Um, mm -hmm. And and there, I guess, kind of the part the the career path is to grow from assisting in the team and doing general general help. Um, onto starting to represent offers in specific territories. Uh, and where it gets harder to grow is to, to find a market that are different, that might be more challenging, uh, that acquire more books, that translate more, mm -hmm. uh, where you have a bit more opportunities as well. And, and this, as always, with job, you know, it will depend on how much, how, how many opportunities will you have in your company 
or do you need to move somewhere else at some point because someone else is already in that role? And obviously there are, there are many languages as we learn doing this job uh, and that's just fascinating, but there is also that many languages. Um, yeah. So, you know, you can't indefinitely divide the job within a team. And so when you say um, allocate languages within your team, how does it work? Do you, how many people are in your team? Are you the one that's looking after all the authors in David Heim? How does it work in terms of you building relationships across borders and so forth? Mm -hmm. um, so agencies and actually as well publishers will have some their own foreign rights departments. Um, all can have different systems. The way we work at David Hyam at the moment is that we we all work across the entire list of all our offers, but we divide the world between us. The idea being that we can create very close-knitted relationship uh, with mm -hmm. the editors in those markets, but also we have time to visit them. Obviously, mm -hmm. our jobs during the pandemic became a bit more difficult because it's a very network-based uh, mm -hmm. type of job. And not being able to visit any more uh, editors, seeing bookshop, bookshops across the world uh, made it everything a little bit harder. If anything, less tangible. And it's, it's hard at some point when you kind of lose sight to the end game of what you're doing every day. Yeah. So I'm really excited about being able to, to start doing this again. Um, so the way we do it exactly is just to, to kind of divide the world but representing all the offers. Um, mm -hmm. But at the moment, me specifically, I'm working across uh, Italy, France, Scandinavia, uh, and Germany. Okay. And so is the is this a norm? You, you tell me if this is normal or it happens in different ways, but is it that a book is sold within, for instance, the UK territory, and then you take that book and... Um, speak to editors from the regions that you're handling at the moment or do you ever take a book before it's sold in english-speaking territories yes i wish i could tell you there is the best way to do it uh, there are many ways of doing it and it will depend on the book if it's a fiction yeah. book if it's a literary fiction uh, the time of the year as well um so there are many ways of doing it but yes the um, the principle of it is that we kind of come in as early as possible and start those conversations about, about books as our colleagues start talking with the UK editors or US editors. Um, and we, we start to, to find homes as well for, for all the stories across the world uh, or nonfiction proposal or comic books. Uh, books do travel. When you're building these um, relationships across with editors, is it something that you're supported with within David Hyam or is it really you have to be, I'm just thinking of the type of person or the characteristics that would make for a good um, translation rights agent. And I think I also didn't account for how much there would be in terms of face-to-face -face meetings and to traveling to different countries and regions. Um, is that something you just go out and do on your own? Are you doing it as a team? How does that work? Uh, there are two main uh, events in the year of a translation rights uh, agent, and those are book fairs. Um, there are many happening across the world all year long, but we have two main ones that pretty much the entire industry um, attends. Although I, I would say no, we are kind of in a period of 
redefining all of that post-pandemic. Um, but the tradition is Frankfurt Book Fair, which happens uh, in October, and London Book Fair uh, around the Easter break. Uh, so March, April every year. Uh, and those two moments are kind of the time where we go as a team, uh, but also most publishers will be coming and they will also come as a team. And it's a really great opportunity to just catch up. And those those book fairs are really special because they're just a really incredible creative energy coming out of the space. Yeah. You know, you just get these editors from all across the world, agents, just everyone is talking about books, getting excited. Um, yeah. sharing ideas there's also a lot of you know launch parties uh, we celebrate books that have been sold across the world um, it's just really buoyant uh, and those times we do it as a team and that's just really great meetings are individual but we do come there with our team uh, primary agents come as well uh, you know it's just really 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 cool that's like that's what I love and uh, is it also that the foreign books are then also trying to find a home in UK um, publishers during that time as well. Yes, right? yes, yes. So that's uh, that's really coming from all languages and, uh, and all perspectives. Um, yeah. And can you tell, I mean, how do you personally tackle a book? Do you, can you tell that a book will do well in certain territories or do you try and you know, uh, strategize to, to, to reach out to as many territories as you can? Is there trends that uh, are parallel? Uh, yes, we, we, we do see trends. Um, we see genres translating more. Uh, those change as well. That's why it's so important to stay in touch and to kind of mm. keep following and just keep keeping up with the markets. Um, but we also, you know, we, we do try to put our expertise and that, that's why it's what one develop as they learn to read for work, uh, which mm-hmm. is often quite different from reading for pleasure. I mean, it, it is the best case scenario when you read a book and you're like, I just love it as a reader. Mm-hmm. And I think as an agent, this is a really good book and mm-hmm. opportunity for us too. Uh, but this obviously cannot happen all the time. And this is key here as well to being a translation rights agent as opposed mm-hmm. to being the primary agent um, because you have less of a say over the list. You know, you are mm-hmm. over the list of the primary agents and then you work on their behalf across the world. Um, yeah. I am lucky that I work for David Hyam where there are so many types of books. I really, you know, there will be those books that really speak to my heart as well. Um, yeah. But I do think that you can... You know, you can be a really good agent of a book that you wouldn't have picked up as a reader on a shelf, but that you can recognize is a really good book in what it's trying to do. And that's how you're able to pitch those books. Um, but then in terms of putting our pitches together and trying to think of our book fair strategies, there are some books that, you know, we, we will read and think, oh, this is going to be a lot harder to translate. Um, there can be a really clear reason, um, you know, for example, psychological drama right now isn't doing really well uh, in those markets um, or they can be the reason that it does feel really British focused um, or really specific or there is a lot of play around slang or something like that and that might really hard to translate um, so we try to be really attentive to that 
it doesn't mean it won't happen and we won't try but it is really important to be aware of the challenges of that book mm. so you can be a good advocate for it yeah yeah that makes sense and is it always the on the agency side that the translation rights go through or do sometimes if a UK publisher picks it up and they have a rights department do they also step in Yes. Um, so I hope not many UK publishers are listening to me now. Uh, we we have we we do at um, at a little war against against rights. Uh-huh. Because we try uh, to buy word or language rights for a book quite often. Um, quite frankly, because you know those translation rights are a source of a revenue. Uh, they are a way for them to just up their PNL really. Uh, because every time we make a deal, there is a new advance being negotiated and all of that. Um, whereas we are arguing on behalf of the offer, saying that, you know, we are in-house working with their agents, um, but also there are different conversations of commissions and how does the marketing accounted. Um, so, so yes, there is, there is quite a lot of competition for those rights uh, often. There might be there might be reasons where the publisher might be more uh, in best place to be selling those rights in terms of co-editions, for example, when a book is highly illustrated, uh, because they would be able to cut cost by printing all the books at once. Uh, so yeah, that's all very detailed, but you know there are expe- except exceptions. Sorry, where it does make more sense for the for the publisher for sure to be handling those rights in terms of production, really. Mm-hmm. Okay, and on the author's side, how does it work for them? Do they, once a, once their book is sold into a different region, are they, how much are they involved in the process? Is it the same as the primary editor? How does it work? Yes, um, so um, here I'm talking as if I was handling those rights on behalf of, of uh, the agency, so if the rights were with us. Um, we re- very much use the same process you know, we try to, to keep our the offers up to date with where we are to, you know, how much we have submitted, um, if we have yet or not, if we have only prioritized some market at this stage. Mm-hmm. Then when the book is sold, obviously, you know, they have to approve the deal. Uh, so we will try to give them more information about the publisher. Um, if there is a love letter from the editor, all that kind of details, we will be sharing all of that. And then, you know, they would be involved in terms of when the marketing kicks in. Um, we love to be able to send offers a- abroad if it's possible. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, you know, doing kind of all sorts of social media uh, posts and all that kind of things. Seeing covers, translation covers are just the best. Whole markets have such different styles. Um, I just, you know, I think, for example, the Czech covers are always just so beautiful. Um mm-hmm. The French have a tendency to put photographs on them, and I'm not too sure why. Yes, most of the time. I've noticed. That, <laughs> yes. um, so you know, they just like it's just. I think it's a really good summary of what we do. Uh, you just get this kind of a story, a book, and it starts traveling, and you just get different sparks to it because this is being translated, and, and we could go on and go on about the concept of translation, but a translation is never you know, A, A2 is, you know, A to B in some ways. Yeah. And, and I think the covers really, really show that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just, I just love doing this. That's so nice. And in that, um, the conversation about translation, because uh, I think that is really interesting 
a that you know your book is finding a life out there as an author your book is going to find a life out there in regions and countries that you don't actually have control of the final product and um, how it's received I guess um, until you're out there and you're speaking to readers um, is there something you can offer to kind of help understand what that process would feel like for authors that have their books out in regions and translations that like you say are not you know direct translations of each word but it really is an adaptation and understanding of how that story is within the translator's own version mm -hmm. yes i guess you know the the way one reacts is very very telling on one's character as well you know the capacity of just letting it go or want it to be more involved mm. they see of us having different um wishes to be to be involved or not being involved um what i can say is we do always make sure that we work with editors that we know you know have had good reputations and we know select their translators um, really well especially when we start talking about literary novels we really make sure that the translators are used to translate that type of literary mm -hmm. novels um, sometimes it can be part of the pitch like an editor would tell me I really want that person to be translating the book oh, or to yeah. write an introduction to it often in non-fiction I will have that kind of conversations um, so there is really a kind of making sure as well that we find the right home for that book mm. in terms of trusting the editor to find the right translator, but also in terms of trusting that that publishing house will have the vision for the book that would be mm. that would be correct for that for that market and correct on very punitive actually, but you know that that can that would be that would be efficient and that would that would work. Mm. Um, and I think that also come with with experience and sometimes being able to to advise and offer with confidence and say, I know your book has been published in a more, for example, literary area of the market in the UK, but trust me, in that market, it might feel a little bit more commercial and I think mm -hmm. for the book, um, because that is the nature of the market and it comes with, yeah, selling more than one book, seeing them being published, doing our research, mm -hmm. entering bookshops abroad is always, I think, the most helpful thing one can do when trying to sell rights um and yeah so it's just um it's a very varied job and it, it had um a crazy pace but it's it's also very entertaining <laughs> just to branch off that what um type of person or what characteristics do you think make for a good um or someone who'd enjoy being within this area of publishing Mm -hmm. I think you have to be extremely curious um, because he asks to be a little bit nosy. We ask a lot of questions. It's never being scared of asking a lot of questions because, quite frankly, it's impossible to pretend that you know perfectly all this market. Like, you know, how, how could one dare to say that? Um, just thinking of me, I have, I have hate markets. You know, I can't. It's, just keeping on top of them, you know, I, I do, and I'm, I do, but realistically, I am not living in those eight markets at the same time. Uh, so just making sure that you're always 
just yeah, curious enough and invested enough to be to be asking all those questions you should be asking mm-hmm. uh, from the very bare bones of attempts, a format, how the book would be published, but also keeping in touch really with that market in terms of cultural changes, political changes, what's happening, what the mood, uh, econ- socio-economical environment, all that kind of questions. Uh, so I think you really ask a kind of, yeah, being very curious and a busy on it person, um, but also really wide appetite for, for reading and for loving to just make stories to travel. Uh, and I think you did touch on this earlier, I don't think it's a requirement, but I think it is quite helpful um, to have an age of just being happy to, to chat with people and, and making contacts. And I don't think you need to love being very outgoing and wanting to go out. I'm an introvert by nature, but I do have that love for people and, you know, making sure that I'm building that kind of network and, and keeping in touch because those are big networks to build and and a lot of what I do as well, I think, is making sure that my tech to work is keep going uh, and stays healthy and and a happy relationship, really. Yeah. And are you also, um, are you the middle person also when it goes to translation with the author? Or does the primary agent still stand as the middle person? No, no, it's, uh, it's us. I guess in my depends on places but at David Hyam we are we are very much in touch with um with the offers um, okay. so I would be I would be the one communicating with them and mm-hmm. yeah which is great as well like yeah great. it's a nice varied uh, like you said the people that you're kind of your touch points are all quite varied and um I guess curiosity mm-hmm. is really what would uh help uh keep a love for that role as well absolutely and it's just you know it is so amazing to see an offer building a career in a country, you know, it's not even just selling one book. A lot of yeah. authors are not very established in many, many countries and just have had many, many books published and traveled there as well to see the editors mm-hmm. there. And it's just amazing to to be part of that. Yeah. And are you then, if if a book is translated and there's a translator working on it, my assumption might be wrong, but um, I assume if they have any kind of discrepancy or they're not sure about something that they could speak to the author or is that done through you? How does that also work? Uh, yes, yeah, so this this happens um, often that uh, translators will have some questions uh, which are really important actually to be answered. Um, so this here it really depends as well. Some offers mm-hmm. just love to be put in touch with their translator directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them might ask us to be liaising. So it, it really depends. I think it also depends the type of book. Some book requires more, it requires some more questioning and, and conversation when some mm-hmm. book are a bit more tra- straightforward. So it's really a, a lot what we do as well is a case by case basis. Yeah. I'd like to move on to the three things that you'd like to make sense of for writers and or publishing hopefuls hoping to get into the industry. (laughs) The first one is something we've been touching in and out of, but that translation rights is where the fun is. Do you want to speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, I think, I mean, you've you've heard me. I think it's, yeah, it's fun because it's really varied um, and it's just, especially as, such a time of 
constant kind of scouring across the world and cultural wars and wars really sadly right now it's just beautiful to see that stories are traveling and maybe I am I am a bit of an hopeful and romantic but I just I just love to know that at the end of the day some stories are traveling um, mm. and that just give me give me a lot of joy and hope mm. and do you feel like that's the kind of energy that is within encompassed within this role uh, because it's I'm guessing people who choose to work within the translation rights department are people who really do love have a love for language and having that kind of cross-culture um, opportunity. Do you think that's also why there's such an energy and joy around books and, and trying to get them into these other regions? Yes, I like to think so. I mean, you know, it is true that being French, I just love when I sell a book in France. Uh, and I, you know, I will, I will text a few people and be like, this amazing book, I just coming for you. Um, and that's true. I think there is just, um, it makes you feel a bit more connected to know that yeah. there are, yeah, that's just those books that you know and you see here in the UK where you live. Some other people, we see them somewhere else. The same way when I see one of my favorite books that I've written in another language being published yes. in, in English. And just passing it in the bookshop always makes me really happy. Um, yeah, it just it makes you feel, yeah. mean, I think, and it's it's really nice. Yeah, because you're globalizing and kind of democratizing what is what storytelling is, so that you're making it more accessible, um, and you're doing that with as many different stories as you can, which is a really lovely side to publishing, I think. Um, but you said you also read submit negotiate and oversee publication strategies around the world mm -hmm. um is that more the serious side of it or is that also something you enjoy all the negotiations and the publication strategies is that part of the joy no it, i i do really enjoy it and actually i think that that was probably a really important point of people thinking to join translation rights um you know at the core of it we are we are very much salespeople. We pitch. It's nice that when we pitch our books, and it's lovely that we love books. But you know, we are we are here as well to to make sure that we secure the best terms possible for our first. That you know, there are some pretty complicated questions of format, um, subscription rights, all of this kind of wow, <laughs> you know, the kind of actual legal side of it, um, and also the financial side of it because. It is important that authors are able to leave from what they do. Uh, so that's also a really important side. I think what, what I mean by where the, the fun is in translation rights is because it's so varied, because it's constantly different, because all those markets will have their own specificities. Uh, and I think for me, that's really key that it's really hard to get bored uh, yeah. <laughs> because it's just never yeah. going to be the same and the pace just keeps on picking up you know if one of your market is a bit quiet at the time one of mm -hmm. the other one will just be moving mm. nice and do you ever have books that haven't worked in a market at a certain point but then maybe a year on you then you you keep trying yeah yes and um, that's something we say a lot as well the 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 lifespan of us submitting is so much longer in mm -hmm. the uk you know we will be submitting from day one but then we, we we pick up deals later even after publication date in the uk 
that, that mm-hmm. happens quite often actually and your second point was that to anyone who's starting out to be curious and hungry which we did touch on um but i really like um the kind of combination of being curious and hungry, because I guess as you've touched on, it is also a sales role ultimately. Um, can we speak more about what it is that you directly are doing? Uh, yes. So, um, <laughs> too um, so you start with just the basic, reading the books, uh, thinking about them, familiarizing ourselves with the list. Um, and then really that kind of part is submitting, pitching to editors, trying to find them the best home. When this happens, hopefully we get an offer from an editor uh, and we move on to kind of more negotiating. Uh, so here we discuss two sides of it, really, the publication strategies, their vision, what they want to do, when do they want to publish, how, um, why them. And then uh, there is also the kind of more financial and terms negotiation. And here it gets more into details about uh, license terms and the money aspect, uh, all that kind of conversations. And when this is all a happy story uh, and we have a contract in place, we move on to the actual publication. Uh, And here there are some very basic, you know, getting them the right translatable files, uh, discussing publication date that might be really important to time with the UK, for example. Um, they also start talking about covers, titles, um, all, all of those, con- those post contract and moving towards publication uh, conversations. And then hopefully when the, bu- the book is published, you know, it's happy stories of getting the offer there because it's going really well, talking about the next book uh, and so on. And it just keeps going. Um, so there is a lot of that. And then I think what I also mentioned in that point is, yeah, be curious because translational rights is also famous for just getting a lot of admin around it. Because everything we do is just duplicating by however many territories, you know. If I submit once, I submit eight times to many editors, eight times. Um, so everything is just completely like, the amount of data we manage is just mind-blowing um and those first job as translation wise assistant i remember them you know sometimes you're a bit like wow um it's a lot but actually there is a lot to take from those because you just are it's quite easy to just be a witness of data and just enter data in a way Mm. get into a rhythm of it but actually processing that information is a really great way to start building knowledge, uh, start building that network I mentioned so many times uh, in our conversation, you know, and really start building this awareness of the pace of different markets and their their little quirks, really. Mm. One of the notes that you left was that you learned a lot by reading your boss's negotiations when you started, um, because there's so much to learn from reading widely, shadowing people and asking questions in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm interested how, how that learning process was and um, being curious at that early stage, what did you learn in order to take through to your mm-hmm. next roles? Exactly, I think, you know, that's why I'm entirely about saying like, making sure, it doesn't just become processing data and admin as 
<clears throat> pardon me, as fast as possible. But that it is a, you know, just, yeah, being hungry, really trying to just being quite voracious about that data and being like, why am I entering 10 lines on this spreadsheet today? Like, why did this person ask me today to like log all these books they've sent in that market? You know, why did they send this book today in Germany? Why that? And trying to figure out this and if not understanding, not being able to understand why did this happen today? Asking the question, you know, yeah. why why have they now sold this book in audio as well? And before it wasn't the case. Maybe mm -hmm. you can figure out yourself that a new audio publisher started in this country and now they will be looking at more mm. market literature, whatever the, the reason is, or just asking that person who works in this market. So really trying to ask the question of why am I doing this? Um, mm -hmm. especially when those jobs can become extremely busy on these famous book fairs. Um, mm. it, yeah, I think it's quite and very natural and almost self-preservation to just get on with it. Uh, yes. But actually being able to sometimes step back and say, why am I actually doing this? Um, mm -hmm. is, is really, really important. Um, and that's how we build some sort of, you know, experience and awareness of markets and just, being exposed to different situations um, is so helpful in the future because once you become the agent being faced with it, you can remember, oh, when this happened to my colleague once, um, I remember that they dealt with it this way. Mm. And maybe as well, they didn't do it that well or you thought you would have done it differently. Well, it's your That's time true. to shine and do it differently. Yeah. <laughs> not do what was done before but that's such a that's such an interesting point because I think a lot of the early roles are admin focused but I really like that thought of asking and being curious or just internally um trying to piece together why this is because you're right I mean listing out books in an excel spreadsheet is not that interesting but there's a process and there's an end goal to that and I like that that that's that's uh, something that can also take you through in terms of learning the process and learning context, I guess, is what's key in that. Um, and the third thing that you'd said you'd like to make sense of was your wish that we read more widely in translation in the UK. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, I guess that's a response to my first point. Um, this is telling of my brain that maybe I should have put this one in number two um but <laughs> so this is um this is a response to my first point really that as much as i love selling all those english language books across the world i you know i am also aware that i am nourishing in a system where we are more the english language travels a lot more across the world um and i just I just don't think it's sustainable or it shouldn't be the case really uh, because there are many, many beautiful books being written across the world in many languages. Um, so I just, yeah, I just wish that the number of books being translated into the UK just, I think it's been growing actually. And I just, I just think it will keep growing and also mm. that the, um, the remit of it will be a bit wider that we don't just translate the big, you know, mm. the big names of literature, but actually as well that we translate some more book club books and upmarket mm. and, you know, crime and, you know, that all of it travels mm. a little bit more as well because I just, you know, sometimes actually that's also where 
stories are and and I think the stories are just such great witness of mm. the down down to earth day to day life of a different country and so yeah just I just think it's really important as well to acknowledge that it's interesting because when you're reading in English sometimes you don't even realize that this is a book that's been translated but you definitely feel the sense of I always have this question of when you're reading a book in translation, is it exactly how that author wrote it or is it the version that the translator has also somewhat created? Is there uh, something you can shed light on? Yeah, absolutely. I think it will always be different and I think it's just, you know, especially with literary fiction sometimes there is maybe a bit more for, it's not even just freedom, I guess it's an interpretation of, the form that the author uh, decided to use in their original language. That's where I love and a translator's not. They are always the most fascinating things to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just amazing. And that's another thing I think, you know, having the name of a translator on a cover is just so important. Like mm. you know, these people are just, they are magicians. They do amazing yeah. work um, and they should be recognized really a lot more prominently. Um, one would hope that most of the time actually is born from a conversation with the author. So there's been a, an ongoing conversation and a question of, of language. I was just reading, um, I am part of a book club and we were reading the, the, Queen, uh, the Queens of Sarmiento Park, um, which is uh, translated from the Spanish, uh, Argentinian Spanish. And there was an important author's note at the opening of the book because there is... Um, transgender characters in the in the book and they were talking about the the word that was used in Spanish language and that was not used in other translations uh, and the reason the why and I think you know especially in the kind of when we are look, looking at a cultural context as um, or at, in this case sexual identity gender identity is really important that there is a communication mm-hmm. between the translator and the author and that that decision is being made in partnership mm-hmm. um, because you know it, it's just it's just so radically important to the book, but also to the author. There is a reason why they chose a certain word in this context, and that should be respected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I get there are many there are different degrees of how much a translator can can be free and sexual mm-hmm. freedom, or how much it should be, have a communication with the author. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that leads to an interesting reading experience as well mm-hmm. towards that. You, while you work as a translation rights agent, you also debuted your own novel this year. I did. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. That is amazing. Um, I know that's not why you're on here, but I think it's worth speaking about it because um, you come from both aspects, I guess. And so how does that, uh, how does, how did the process work for you? You know so much about different parts of the industry. How was that for you? Mm-hmm. Um, mind blowing. I think you didn't take away <laughs> any of the stress or anything <laughs> to know. If anything, sometimes knowing too much, uh, yeah. is not, <laughs> not so, such a good idea, but, um, but yes, the, um, my novels came out this year called The Yellow Kitchen. And I think it was just, first, I'm just really grateful because I think one of the things I'm really aware of is not all books get published and many really great books don't get published. And I think 
um, this has made me a very, very grateful offer uh, just to be able to have this chance. But from the beginning, I can't say I did it successfully all the time, but I made a very clear rule with myself that when I am talking about the Yellow Kitchen, I am not an agent. Mm-hmm. And I think it came, maybe there are some cons to say that because actually maybe, you know, I could I could use my knowledge more and I could be more pushy and I don't know whatever it is, but no, that's something I made from the beginning. I think it was really important for me first to, to stay healthy in the world process mm-hmm. as possible, but also just to enjoy it, you know. I wanted to be a bit clueless. I wanted to be a debut author and and that was amazing. I think one of them one of our fellow debut offers when it started to happen to me he said to me, just soak it in. It happens once. Just soak it all in. And I think knowledge would have just taken this away from me. Um, and anyway, as much, you know, as much as I know, I also don't know. As I said many times here, it's always a case by case. And you just I think, yeah, I just had to do it. Just so, the night was amazing. And just, yeah, publishing that book here in the UK in English was just, yeah, the, the best experience. I'm, I'm very, very grateful. If you enjoyed this episode of Make It Make Sense with Sarika Thanander and Tharaman, I would love if you would rate, review or subscribe to the podcast to help others find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Make It Make Sense.